0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of uh, Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network. My name is Judson Pierce, and I'm pleased to be uh, sitting down with my good friend, good father, <laughs> <laughs> Alan Pierce. Alan, the usual host of this program, say hello. Hey, hello, everybody. Hi, Jud. We are here call, to- Call me dad. Okay, thanks, dad. We, we are here to discuss the doctrine of recreational injuries- proof and defenses. Alan, you've been involved in these cases before in your career. I think your your last argument to the Supreme Judicial Court here in Massachusetts had to do with one of these types of injuries. Indeed it did. Yeah. Can can you tell us a little bit about your experience with this doctrine?
1: Yeah, this is one of the more interesting areas of the sort of specialty of law known as workers' compensation. And it is To what extent does workers' compensation provide coverage to employees who suffer injuries, not in the usual expected course of work activities that we generally associate with workers' compensation, but are engaged in activities that are considered either recreational or social in nature? And these would include such activities such as company holiday parties, dinners, uh, company-related athletic events such as uh, sponsorship of uh, softball teams or perhaps intercompany basketball competitions, a whole wide variety of social or recreational activities in which there is a risk and uh, an occurrence of an injury in that setting. And there has been a, a body of case law developed around the country where different jurisdictions treat these injuries differently and a lot has to do with in every case the particular facts of that particular case and how it fits into that particular state or jurisdiction's definition of what does constitute an injury that arises out of and in the course of employment
0: yeah the statutory phrase i found this quote interesting the statutory phrase arising out of and in the course of employment which appears in most workmen's compensation laws Is deceptively simple and litigiously prolific. That was uh, that was written by Mr. Justice Murphy in Cardillo versus Liberty Mutual Insurance back in 1947. Why do you think that this is such a uh, deceptively simple and litigiously prolific uh, series of words? Well, it has to do with the
1: fact that um, people can injure themselves doing a wide variety of tasks that, at first blush, may not appear to be work-related but do provide a tangible or intangible benefit to the employer. And when you get away from, you know, sort of, you know, working on the machine or or working in an office setting and you transfer that to a restaurant, a dance floor, a softball field to which an employer may either compel attendance or participation or more often might expect Attendance and participation. The social question is, where does the risk of injury lie when somebody is injured under circumstances that they are participating in an activity that is beneficial to the employer, beneficial to their relationship with the employer as an employee, and who should bear the risk? of economic loss, wage loss, or medical expense when an injury occurs in that setting. Over the last perhaps 30 years, many states, not every state, but many states have actually amended their workers' compensation law to address this situation, we can discuss that in a minute. But before or in the absence of any express language in a particular statute, virtually every jurisdiction does have a body of case law, in which there are certain parameters that have been set out by appellate courts, uh, a particular state's Supreme Court or highest uh, appellate court, that dictate the factors that must be considered by a fact-finding tribunal, like an industrial board, a judge, a workers' comp commissioner, to determine whether one set of facts requires a payment of workers' compensation or doesn't. And you can compare and contrast results in the various states and perhaps find inconsistent results. And the, the the case I would perhaps like to elaborate on to identify these particular issues is a case which I happen to have had way back in the early 1980s, but an injury that occurred actually in the late 1970s. And this case did involve a company softball team. And it did occur before Massachusetts enacted a specific statutory provision that has uh, actually arose out of this case. So, Judd, with your indulgence, maybe uh, <laughs> if I can give you a, a a sort of summary of the facts of that case, it'll sort of put this in perspective. I represented an individual by the name of John Kemp. So the case is identified as uh, Kemp's case. That's how Massachusetts identifies their particular workers' compensation cases that go into the Supreme Judicial Court. And so for, Kemp for, Kemp...
0: for the folks listening who want who want to look it up, it's three... 380... The 386 Mass, 730, and it was decided in 1982 by our highest court. And and you say that he actually got hurt 11 years previous to that.
1: Yeah, this case, for some reason, had a very tortured history uh, uh, to get through to the Supreme Judicial Court back when he was injured. I was not even a lawyer. His injury indeed was, I believe, in 1971. I was but not he, even alive. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Um, Basically, he worked for a a company called Westinghouse Electric Supply. They were a division of the big Westinghouse company, and it was a warehouse, and they had a company team, and they played in an interleague team uh, or or league of similar companies, competitors or um, other types of companies, and they would play their softball games on a, a public park off hours. They were not paid. They were volunteers. But supervisory personnel played along with the um, the regular employees. And there was a certain benefit that we argued to the employer of, of morale and increased productivity. The employer did subsidize this activity. They provided the T-shirts and the hats that had Westinghouse Electric Supply on the T-shirts. And I think the Circle W logo on the hats. There was a great deal of pride of winning the particular league Series at the end of uh, 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 the summer season. The company paid for the shirts and hats. They promoted the activities. There was an employee break room where the company posted the schedules. Man, like I say, management participated. And John Kemp injured his shoulder. I think he broke his collarbone while sliding into a base. And was only out of work perhaps for five or six months, and along the way he filed a claim for workers' comp benefits. To make a long story short or shorter, he was awarded benefits by uh, the Department of Industrial Accidents in Massachusetts on the grounds, as I've stated, that the employer was gaining a benefit of increased morale and a de corps and a uh, a harmonious relationship between employees and their bosses, that uh, they were also getting the benefit of advertising and goodwill.
0: Let me interject. There seems to be a strong enough nexus between the employer-employee activity here. Why wasn't there any sort of statistical analysis, a breakdown of perhaps further productivity that the company may have generated? You know, happy workers are faster workers, happy workers are better workers. Was there any sort of like scientific- uh, No,
1: unfortunately, we, did, we didn't uh, go that far. And I'm not even sure what type of data would have been available yeah. 35 or so, 40 years ago to, to do that. But the fact finder at the industrial board uh, did award compensation and Westinghouse, which was self-insured. They appealed it to the reviewing board. They upheld the award. And again, the basis for the award were the factors that I had cited, the goodwill, the morale, the advertising, et cetera. And there was support for that. There were other cases around the country where similar either basketball teams or softball teams where compensation was awarded. For basically no more involvement than what I said Westinghouse had, um, the minor financial purchase of equipment and, and jerseys. And I think Westinghouse paid the fee for the use of the field. I mean, there were, and, and presumably, and these were, in fact, it came out in testimony, these were business expenses that were deducted. So the employer, self insure by subsidizing the, this activity, they were gaining, yeah, deducting. they had the, yeah. They, I mean, it was considered a business expense. And that and and the judge in the case did cite these as the reasons. But we had no statutory language. And the case went to the reviewing board. Uh, they upheld it. Back then, to get the Supreme Judicial Court, you had to go through the Superior Court and the Appeals Court. So the Superior Court affirmed the award of benefits. The Appeals Court affirmed the award of benefits. And the Supreme Judicial Court granted review. And that's why it took a number of years to get through the hearing, the appeals. There were three levels of appeals before the Supreme Court. And when they got the case, they reversed it. They took away the award and basically said it wasn't enough that the employer derived this uh, intangible benefit of morale and goodwill, and that their uh, subsidization uh, was, was just not quite enough. And they basically cited the rule in Moore's case and other cases in which the com- the common law theory was, you know, whether the employer ordered the employee to participate in the program, whether the employees were paid, whether it occurred on company premises, whether it occurred on company time, and whether you know, the employer uh, directed the activity. And they found that if you look at those criteria— that the amount of involvement that the Westinghouse Electric Supply Company just wasn't enough to bring this within the orbit of being within the scope of employment, that it was a voluntary recreational activity and just didn't provide enough benefit to the employer to require the employer to pay workers' comp. And it was shortly after that that the legislature in 1985, a couple of years after the decision, the legislature amended our workers' comp law in Massachusetts to say that an injury shall not, inc- a personal injury for workers' comp purposes, and I'm going to quote from the statute, it's just one simple sentence, shall not include any injury resulting from an employee's purely voluntary participation in any recreational activity, including but not limited to athletic events, parties, and picnics, even though the employer pays some or all of the cost therefore. And that then became the state of the law following Kemp and following the legislative change.
0: In whose eyes voluntary, right? That's, uh, that's, the, one, <laughs> that's the one thing that the, the legislative wording does not state. Whose eyes are we looking through?
1: That is a good question. There is some case law and language that suggests that whether something is or is not voluntary, first of all, most of the time is subjective. Certain certain times you can produce evidence. For example, if a an inter-office memo or an inter-office email comes out saying the boss is having a, uh, there's going to be a retirement party for the boss, you are expected to attend, hmm. or you are encouraged to attend. Or if there is subtle or not so much subtle pressure to attend, and then at the attendance of whatever that event is, an injury occurs, one can argue that the attendance was not voluntary. So voluntary is, in many times, subjective, and it can be a little more objective if you have some type of tangible evidence of some type of employer, employer, if not compulsion, sort of almost compulsion, sort of a, um, you know, a a uh, you better attend or else. What's interesting is our legislature chose to add the adverb purely to voluntary. If it just said voluntary participation, one could argue, and one, we do argue that the particular reason why our client was participating uh, wasn't voluntary, but we have the added advantage of the word purely voluntary, which I think makes it a little bit easier for an employee who felt compelled to participate, but you couldn't prove it through any type of direct memos or evidence. But, you know, purely voluntary, I think to me, and would, would be from the standpoint of the the participant not from the standpoint of the provider of the employer
0: well let's let's uh, tease uh, our audience a little bit and come back after a short break with uh, some some recent cases uh, over the last 20 30 years some of which you've handled Alan on this issue of purely voluntary. including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. And we're back. Alan, before the break, you were talking about the added advantage that injured workers in Massachusetts can pursue a possible workers' comp claim with the uh, argument that uh, their action uh, that caused their injury was not a voluntary one, was not a purely voluntary one. Can you describe how that gives a added little bit of oomph for the injured worker? Well,
1: first of all, you know, it, it is through the eyes of the injured worker I would suggest as to whether they felt that they were purely voluntarily participating in the activity, but of course that You know, that then becomes a credibility and a fact-dependent issue. But I'm I'm thinking back, and and a lot of our listeners, because a lot of this comes up in popular culture. I remember a show in the late 80s, uh, L.A. Law, and one of the episodes, and this actually, I actually found a case not unlike this particular episode. One of the subplots in L.A. Law is that this particular law firm had a very competitive basketball league. Against other law firms. And uh, it was, in fact, we have it here in Massachusetts. Plaintiff lawyers play against defense lawyers, and there's a lot of uh, emotion that goes into it. But this particular episode of LA Law, they were recruiting summer legal interns. And this one particular summer, they hired an intern who probably did not have a very distinguished resume to be hired by this prestigious law firm, but he was like six foot eight and he was a <laughs> like a division one college basketball player. And of course he blew out his knee uh, playing under the banner of the, uh, the particular law firm. And although it didn't come up in the context of a workers' comp claim, it just sort of was, in fact, I don't even think he got injured in that particular episode, but it became apparent that he was probably hired because he was six foot eight and was a good basketball player, so uh, he filled the slot. And if he were injured, and they did have a purely voluntary work activity defense, I think one could argue that his hiring was more for his basketball skills than for his legal skills. So that right. that's one area. The other thing we don't want to overlook is moving away from voluntary or purely voluntary. What is or is not a recreational activity. The statute says, including but not limited to picnics, parties, and sporting events. But there are other types of activities which one might see a recreational defense proffered by the insurance company. And you might want to look at as to whether or not the activity where the person was injured was recreational. And that's going to lead us into the, the discussion of a couple of skiing cases, but also a discussion. We had a case in the office. For example, we had a a gentleman who worked for a company. He had a fairly sedentary job in an office nine to five. He was diabetic. And as a result, his sedentary work activities eight hours a day, plus his demand for maintaining appropriate blood sugar levels required him to eat and drink certain things at certain times. During the day when his blood sugar would be off, his doctor said, you need some moderate exercise and you need to, you know, take in some sugar fluids, apple juice, whatever. And his habit was whenever he felt that way on his lunch hour, he would leave the factory and he would go into the property of the employer, which included a wooded area that they owned. So he was on company premises and he was on company time and he would lightly jog or power walk for about 30 minutes. And while doing that, he twisted his ankle and, uh, Severe, I see the broker's ankle, severe uh, uh, tear of some some tendons, and the insurer defended the claim that this was he was engaged in a purely voluntary recreational activity. We responded saying, yes, his the activity he engaged in was voluntary on his part and was purely voluntary, but we questioned whether it was a recreational activity. He wasn't doing it. The, the definition of recreation is to do something for one's enjoyment for relief from the travails of of, of work. But in this case, if he were deemed to be credible, he wasn't doing it for the purposes of recreation. He was doing it for the purposes of of health and well being, and to be able to healthily and safely perform his job without putting himself at risk. And we resolved the case. It didn't go to a decision. Uh, it was resolved. And I think, I would bet, that if we did try the case and our client was deemed believable by, by our judge, You know, I think the judge would have found that, yes, this was a purely voluntary activity on his part, but it wasn't recreational. And it was done on premises during work day, during work hours. And the employer is benefiting by having a healthy employee. So that's, that's a case where if you get a purely voluntary recreational defense, first look at what the activity was and make sure it was recreational before you even get into the issue of how voluntary it was and whether it was purely voluntary.
0: In your years of practice, do you see these types of cases come around quite a bit? Uh, They come around. I wouldn't say quite a bit,
1: but we have handled in the 35, 40 years we've been representing injured workers, probably a dozen cases involving people who are injured in social events. Sometimes you have people on business trips and they get injured for doing something that is of a a social nature. A A lot of business trips involve both alcohol and work activities and meetings. The most recent case, and you referred to it, we had an employee who was skiing on a Saturday, off premises and off hours, and she was a school teacher. And this is Karen Sikorsky, and that's a case that also made it to the uh, Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. This case is an example where I think the city, which was self-insured, Probably misused and misapplied the recreational activity defense. I think they could have made a better argument uh, that this was a, a more outside the scope of employment. But very quickly, the facts in this case is my client was a school teacher, and there was a ski club, uh, recognized student activity. The in the budget of the city, they had money allocated for to pay the. Uh, faculty advisor for the ski club, who was not my client. And they would arrange for day trips to different ski areas in adjoining states. So I believe on this particular trip, it was a bus trip to Vermont, spend the day skiing, and then come home. And of course, my client volunteered to be a chaperone. And her volunteering to be a chaperone was purely voluntary. She didn't have to do it. She wasn't being paid to do it. And she would get transportation, obviously, on the bus. She would not have to pay for the lift tickets. But the employer
0: did say that it needs chaperones, right?
1: That's the distinction. In order to have the trip, there had to be one chaperone for every five students that were skiing. Mm -hmm. So she was injured. She injured her knee skiing down the hill. She hit a mogul or something and went down. And at the time, She had five students that were skiing with her. She actually was provided a walkie-talkie so that if any of the students were to get injured or if any of the students were to deviate from school rules, she was to enforce those rules. And if she needed help, she would contact the other uh, chaperones on the walkie-talkie. So my argument was that this was not a recreational activity, even though it was purely voluntary, that it was she was performing the duties of a teacher as a chaperone. And that is exactly the way the Supreme Judicial Court saw it. They said that this activity was work. One can ski for recreation, but one can also ski for work. I mean, ski instructors are skiing, but they're also working. Ski patrols are skiing, but they're also working. So a chaperone who just happens to be skiing, it doesn't make that activity purely recreational.
0: Well, you can take your work with you. Yeah, I mean, to be compensable, it doesn't actually always have to be on the employer's premises.
1: That's correct. It, it does help if it's on the employer's premises. Yeah. But contrast, contrast, and the, the, the city of Peabody and the, the Peabody Mass, uh, which was the, the city that employed my client, they were relying on a case that came down two years earlier called Wilson's case, also a skiing case. And in that case, the case was denied workers' comp. And in that case, it was a little bit different. And that's why these facts matter. Hmm. Ms. Wilson worked for an event company and they would provide events for their client companies. And one of their client companies had a, a ski trip, not unlike the ski club. And her job was to make sure the client was happy. And so she would uh, she would arrange for the room. She'd arrange for the skis. She would do all the work so that the all the clients' employees had to do was show up and enjoy a day of skiing. And she was injured skiing and she was encouraged to ski. They said that you should ski with the Clients, employees, and just um, see if they need know, anything. Make sure everything runs well. Yep. However, this is the factual difference. At the end of the run, when everybody was finished, she decided on one her own she was going run. to take one last run down oh, the hill. Oh no! And that's when she was injured. Yeah. And at that point, they held she had stepped out of uh, the skiing role as a work duty mm-hmm. and gone into the skiing role as a recreational activity on her part. Interesting. And in this case, didn't go to the Supreme Judicial Court, but it went as far as the appeals court, which is the next level under the Supreme Judicial Court. And they upheld the denial of benefits on the grounds that her skiing activity at the exact moment she was injured was not for the benefit of the employer or for the benefit of the customers of the employer that she arranged a ski trip, but was for her own personal enjoyment. And it was a recreational activity. It was purely voluntary. So a very subtle fact distinction Between those two cases is the reason why one person was successful
0: and the other person wasn't. Wow. Amazing the discrepancies. And not only just in Massachusetts cases, but around the country. Is there any cause uh, for concern that maybe we need something to be looked at on a federal basis to sort of equalize the states and the different uh, aspects of how you can be awarded compensation in one and not another? Yeah,
1: or- I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's it's really a federal issue. Uh, the one thing the federal government has usually uh, done is uh, workers' comp is really a state by state law, and, and those cases can either uh, statutes can either be amended or by court decision.
0: But there's a lot of between state, interstate commerce affected here. There's a lot well, of working, traveling, you know.
1: Yeah, but most states now either have statutory language, not unlike Massachusetts. In fact, some of the language, they borrow it from other states. You could look at uh, New York and Illinois and New Jersey and many others. They have similar purely voluntary recreational activities. The states that do not, for the most part, all have case law that says that you look at the setting of the injury, whether it occurred on employers' premises, off-premises, off-being paid, not being paid, employer benefit, employer direction and control, and all of these kind of building blocks of facts that if you're representing a, a worker in a state that doesn't have statutory language talking about purely voluntary recreational activities, you still have to satisfy the facts that there is a distinct benefit to the employer, that the employer is getting something either tangible or intangible in return for the employee's participation in the activity. So you would, you know, if you have either uh, bringing one of these cases or you're defending one of these cases, you look at the factors that have been enumerated pretty much around the country or in Arthur Larson's treatise, where he outlines all of these indicia of work-relatedness and see if you can fill as many of those, check off as many of those boxes as you can if you're representing an injured claimant. And if you're defending these cases, check off as many of those boxes that would point to a voluntary participation with minimal employer benefit. And the number of cases is equal to the number of different factual situations that can arise. And you can have various, you know, cases that are strong on some of these points and cases that are weak on some of these points. And it's a matter of marshalling your facts, knowing, you know, the law of the jurisdiction, presenting your case to the fact finder in a light most favorable to your client. And you will find inconsistent results around the country. You'll find some states might be more uh, favorable and liberal to an injured worker in these cases, and some may be more cognizant of the cost of the employer to incur the risk of injuries that occur in purely social settings, especially if alcohol's involved. You know, if the employ- if 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 it's an open bar and the employer is paying for the for the alcohol in a purely voluntary party, holiday party. And the client either is injured him him or herself by overindulging or by a co-worker who may have got, had too much to drink. The fact that the employer provided the alcohol may take it out of the recreational activity aspect of it. So these cases are so fact dependent. As long as those of you out there practicing these cases know what the particular factors are in your jurisdiction, as I said, check off the boxes that most neatly apply to your set of circumstances.
0: Great. And on that note, why don't we uh, end for today? I'd like to thank uh, Alan for joining us on this uh, really interesting issue and and one that is loaded with challenges, too. I know you cited in your article a great deal of research that you had done. Where can someone maybe look up this article? Is this through uh, Thompson West Publishing?
1: Yeah, this article is going going to be published in a law journal that's put out by the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group Willig. It's going to be coming out in the next edition. If somebody wants a copy of it, please feel free to email either Judd or me, and I'll, I'll be happy to send it out to you. My email address is apierce at ppnlaw.com, and Judson's is jpierce at ppnlaw.com, and we'll shoot you a copy. It's a uh, six- or eight-page sort of summary of the cases around the country that talk about what is or what is not a, a recreational activity and what may or may not be purely voluntary.
0: Well, thank you again, and thank you, everyone, for joining us for another edition of Workers' Comp Matters. My name is Judson Pierce, and along with Alan Pierce, we'd like to wish you a good day and make it a day that matters. Take care. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by Attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network. Your only choice for legal talk.